I'm glad that Elevate is dealing with mental health. Uh, this is an issue that the church has ignored for too long, and there's been this perceived animosity between the church and mental health professionals. That is misplaced. It doesn't need to be there. Uh, when we ignore mental health, we do so at our own peril. And so I'm glad that we've got more and more Christian counselors coming in, and that's important. But let me share with you a concept about mental health, because a lot of us, we look at the struggles we go through and say, oh man, it, I, I, just, I just can't get a break. But here's the, the concept I want to share with you today. The major causes of your emotional and mental distress are internal, not external. Your major causes for unhappiness mentally, emotionally, are internal, not external. That means you can't blame this on someone outside who's giving you a hard time. It, because everyone gets a hard time. It's not just you, by the way. We're all picked on. And uh, life isn't good for all of us. We all have hard times, ups and downs. The question is, how are you going to respond to it? And I think that uh, if we can figure that out, we begin to develop our own a pathway to mental health. It has to do with what you believe. So with that in mind, let's take a look again at the passage that was read to us for our scripture reading, and that is found in John's Gospel, the eighth chapter, starting with verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, Seventh-day Adventists are fond of saying we have the truth, but the problem is that we misunderstand at times what the truth is, because when we say that, we're usually thinking about a construct of, of uh, passages or, or doctrines, which maybe the 28 fundamental beliefs is what we're thinking about. But Jesus told us what truth was. He announced to us, he said, I am the truth. So in other words, it's not a concept, it is not a construct, it is not a set of doctrines. Jesus is the embodiment of truth. Truth is a person, it's not a teaching. Truth is the person. So when we say we have the truth, we better mean Jesus or we're wrong. Do we have Jesus or do we not? And Jesus is the truth. We believe in him, we are set free. Now, these other things, the doctrines, hello, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. I, I better understand the doctrines and I better value them. But their value is this. Doctrines exist to shed light on the one who himself is truth. They tell you who he is. They tell you how he interacts with you and what he expects of you because he is truth. That's the value of doctrines. And if it doesn't do that, we don't need it. Either we don't understand it or we don't need it. Truth, little t truth, those constructs of, of doctrine tell us about the one who himself is truth. But there's another little t truth. Little t truth has to do with what we believe to be true about our reality. So when an event hits you, someone is tough on you, they give you a hard time, what you believe about yourself and your world and that experience is the determining factor in whether you respond positively and with positive, uh, positive emotional health or negatively with emotional dishealth. It all has to do with what you believe. The truth is this, here's another bold statement. You can never afford the luxury of believing a lie. Whether it's a lie about God, a lie about doctrine or a lie about the world in which you live. 
and your relationship to that world. You cannot afford that luxury because to believe a lie is to find destruction. Not just eternal destruction, but destruction in your life today and your happiness. Now, there are a lot of lies that we tend to believe. You may not actually be able to put into words that you believe this lie, and you may not even be aware that it's a lie. But one such belief that is a lie is, use it for example, I must be perfect. I must be perfect. If you believe that, let's say that you're a junior at Southwestern and you take a, a test in a class in your major area and you flunk it. And yet your belief is I must be perfect. What happens then when you're suddenly not perfect, even in your major area? You flunked a class, at least a test, maybe not the whole class, but a test. What happens? What accompanies this, this belief now in relationship to this event in your life is negative self-talk. You begin to trash yourself with your self-talk. And out of that comes uh, resulting feelings and behavior that are caustic and destructive. The feelings may be of worthlessness. It may be a failure. I'm, 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 I'm nothing. I'm, I'm, uh, I, I can't do anything right. You may feel a sense of rejection. You may be angry, angry with God, angry with others, angry with yourself, angry with others. The teacher really made a bad test which means you've entered into a behavior of deflecting responsibility for what's happened to you. It's not my fault, it's his fault. The teacher, or her fault, she, she made a bad test. It's really an unfair test, it's not on me. Or my friends really monopolized my time and didn't let me study properly. It's their fault, not mine. When you believe I must be perfect and suddenly you're confronted with the fact that you are not perfect, not even in, in an area of major emphasis, suddenly you've got this conflict going on in your life and how do you survive this? Well, you deflect responsibility. When we do that, when we engage in these negative emotions and behavior, uh, the brain does an interesting thing. The body releases hormones into the brain. When the emotions and the behaviors based on your lie are, are destructive, Neg some emotions uh, are, are generated and that releases these hormones. And the hormones are usually cortisol and adrenaline. Let me tell you what these things do to you when they're released in your brain because you've believed a lie. Here are the, the effects. It makes you intolerant, irritable, gives you a lack of creativity, become critical of yourself and others, Memory impaired, which is really going to help you in your next test, isn't it? <laughs> Memory impaired, and you make bad decisions. And so then your body's biochemistry works against you because you believed a lie and engaged in negative self-talk. You had destructive feelings and behaviors, self-defeating feelings and behaviors. One of the behaviors might be just you withdraw. It's better not to try than to try and to fail, especially if your construct is I must be perfect, because if you try and fail, you're suddenly not perfect. So the easy way out is just not try. Then there's no evidence that you're not perfect. Or you can go the opposite extreme and just be unhealthy in your devotion to study so that you have an imbalanced life. All of that's unhealthy, and when you do that, these chemicals are released in your brain, these hormones, and it makes the matter even worse. How do you get out of this? Well, a lot of therapists will focus on the feelings and behaviors, and although they, that valuable information, that's not the cure. The cure is to change the belief, because the belief is a lie. I must be perfect. The, the truth to the lie is almost always the exact opposite. The truth in this case is to err is human. Everyone messes up. 
And so that is true. To err is human. And so when you, that is your construct about the world around you, and you fail a test, and you're going to be unhappy, you're going to be disappointed, but you don't have this sense of worthlessness, of shame. You, there's no need to deflect responsibility because, after all, we all fail. So I can accept the responsibility for myself. But it also frees you from all these negative emotions and negative behaviors. So now you are free to try again. Change your study habits. Make more of a priority here. Or if you fail, fail enough of those tests, realize you might be in the wrong major. <laughs> There's another thought. I will withdraw from that and go into another area. I changed majors in college. I started off as a music major and would have completed that degree had it not been for a severe lack of talent. <laughs> when I noticed that, I thought, this is not for me. I didn't feel shame. I said, I need to move into something else. So I did something else. And, I, and as a result, I've been able to eat all these years. That's good. So recognizing, all right, to, to err as human frees me now to make better choices. I have more positive feelings, more positive behaviors, all because I've decided to believe that which is true. And now the body does something else interesting. It releases positive hormones into your brain. Uh, hormones like dopamine, oxytocin, and endorphins. And guess what that does for you? It increases your focus. <laughs> uh, your memory and motivation are improved. You become a more generous person. That's kind of nice, isn't it? Trust, bonding, you feel more human. Creativity improves. Relaxation, focus. All because you believe the truth rather than a lie. What you think matters. As a man believeth in his heart, so is he. As a man thinketh, so is he. Believe that which is true, and then it changes your responses to the tragedies around you. I've seen people face death who are just angry, and it destroys them emotionally, and others who say, I've had a great life, and I trust Jesus, and I love him, and they're more positive than I am trying to give them comfort. They, they comfort me. And I'm thinking, what's the difference? And the difference has to do with the belief system. You believe that which is true rather than that which is a lie. Your emotional and mental health are fostered by believing things that are true, whether it be about God, theology, or the world in which you live. Now, there are other lies that we tend to believe that you may not be aware of lies, and, and the list goes much longer than this. I must have everyone's approval. Well, good luck with that. Uh, I, I can't be happy unless things go my way, then you'll never be happy. It's somebody else's fault or it's all my fault, all or nothing kind of thinking. You can have it all. Yeah, not so much. Life should be easy. How's that working out for you? Here's perhaps the most pernicious of all lies that we have the possibility of believing, and that is this. God's love must be earned. When you believe that, then you're never quite sure if you're accepted. And when you fail, you just know that God hates you. And remember those, those negative hormones that are released and all the rigidity, the criticalness. Uh, that's what happens when you become a legalist. And you see it on their faces. People who are truly uh, practicing a performance-based religion, when you look at them, it looks like, it looks like they've been drinking vinegar. Because there's no smile there. It's just a sour expression. Like, yeah, that's, that's awful. And it's because the brain is rebelling against them. 
the negative hormones are, are released inside there because they're never sure if they may, and it makes them very critical because they feel better only when they tear you down. Well, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than Mike. Well, that's a real high bar. <laughs> not so much. Uh, I believe that when we believe this lie, it destroys. And, and quite frankly, I grew up believing that lie. Uh, it was not that my parents wanted me to. They taught me the only brand of religion they knew, and that was a performance-based religion. And I was never good enough to earn God's blessing. And I did my best, man. I really tried hard. I was voted class pastor several times. I did my best, and finally I realized it still wasn't good enough. I felt like I was a failure and that God didn't love me. And I thought, why am I trying so hard? If I'm not going to make him love me, then I'm going to forget it. I started to leave the church. When I was a teenager, finishing up high school, I said, I'm done, man. I'm done. But then two preachers just loved me. That's all. They, they wouldn't let me go. And the summer after my freshman year in college, I had to earn money because obviously tuition, hello. And my folks were still living in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, and I don't know if you've been there in the summer. It's not actually hell, but you can see hell from there. Hot and humid, and I love the valley, but man, the summers are brutal. And my only option was to work in the commercial laundry there that was even hotter and more humid inside than it was outside. Or I had an opportunity because of these two preachers who loved me, to travel the country and sing. Mama didn't raise no dummies, I sang. <laughs> I didn't much like the Jesus I was singing about, but I could sing, so I, I went and I sang as we traveled. And I was enjoying this, but then they decided that we all needed to be able to witness better, and so they had us take a class by an evangelist named Eldon Walters, and the class was entitled New Testament Witnessing, and basically it was teaching you how to make a gospel presentation, and I swear to you, I grew up in the church, educated in our schools, and that was the first time I heard the gospel. And when I saw the passage, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any should boast. When I saw those kinds of things, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why haven't I seen this? It changed my life. I suddenly knew that instead of trying to earn his love, I was loved as I was. Even when I thought I was throwing him away, he still loved me then. And I didn't have to earn my salvation. It was given to me as a gift. Let me tell you, that changes your mind. That gives you joy. It helps you face the struggles around you. When I was a legalist, when struggles came, I just made me mad. That's my go-to emotion. It's the one I do best, anger. You know, you, you go with your strengths. But it's, it costs you something. It takes a drain on your emotions, and it hurts your mental health. But when I found the love of God, man, it changed me. I went back to school, and although I'm sure that the gospel was taught at, at, at my university, this one, I didn't find it. I'm sure there were those teaching it, but not in the classes I was taking that year. I saw the opposite. And I began to have doubts. Is, is my salvation really secure? That was one question. The other question I had is, as a young man, I was wondering, what does God want me to do with the rest of my life? Those are my questions. I was in a singing group on campus 
I just discovered that I really didn't have the talent to do a music major, so I was struggling with that. But um, I was in a singing group, and we had an appointment at a youth rally at Jefferson, Texas, Jefferson Academy. So we traveled there, and we sang. And they had this speaker, tall, skinny, old dude, man. Had glasses as thick as the bottom of Coke bottles. Now, if you're young enough, you don't realize that they used to be very thick. Um, now it's all plastic or you know, whatever. But it was very thick, and that's how his glasses were. And I can't tell you today what he said, but I know this. My heart was moved by what he said. And I knew I had to speak to that man. I didn't know exactly what, but I knew I had two questions. Is my salvation secure? Is it really? And what should I do with my life? I don't know. I waited until most everyone was gone. And then I was standing in that part of the gym, and he was over in this, this corner of the stage shaking hands, and I started making my way down, and somehow he saw me through peripheral vision. I found out later he was actually blind in this eye, so how he knew I was coming, I don't know. But he turned and went right over to this part of the stage and stood right there and grabbed my hand. Remember I had two questions? My salvation secure? What should I do with my life? I have to tell you something. H.M.S. Richards was the name of this guy, and he never let me say a word. He grabbed my hand and he quoted scripture. He said, if you will believe in your heart, Jesus is, is Lord. It, it, pardon me, if you, and confess with your mouth, he is risen from the dead, there we go, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. You will be saved. Question number one answered. And he looked at me and said, son, I don't know what you're going to do with the rest of your life, but whatever you do, keep it simple. And he turned and walked away. I'm standing there slack-jawed, you know. So that's my favorite passage of Scripture, Romans 10.9. It's mine. I'll share it with you if you'd like, but it's mine. Given to me by HMS Richards. I don't know who gave it to him, but it's mine. And I go back to it over and over again. I went back to school knowing that my salvation was secure knowing that God loved me just as I was. And that began to change my worldview. It changed my construct of the world in which I lived. And that meant that I was able to deal with life's vicissitudes, life's struggles more clearly in more of a sane fashion than I was before. Because I began to see the world as it was, not as the enemy had told me it was. When that changed for me, my mental health improved. My emotions did not get the best of me. Bad times came, I was able to roll with the punches. My self-talk changed. Jesus does that for us. We think of this as a New Testament concept, but it's also an Old Testament concept. Let's take a look at it in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, the second part of that verse. I have loved you, this is God speaking, I have loved you with an everlasting love. It means there's no end to it. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. That word loving kindness, in the Hebrew, it's the word chesed. And it's a word that's so rich in its meaning, it takes 26 English words to translate. But it, in some, you'll see it translated as mercy, love, loving kindness, steadfast love, a variety of ways. But it is a love of fanaticism, a love where the lover cannot get the beloved off his mind 
This is God saying that he has drawn you with his fanatical love. The other thing about this word chesed is that it has roots in the covenant, which is God's promise to reconcile fallen man and, and woman to himself. I have loved you with my fanatical, covenant-making, covenant-keeping love. I've drawn you to myself. I can't get you off my mind 24-7. I loved you when you were still an enemy with me. I've loved you with an everlasting love, and I will never stop loving you. The first key to your emotional health, believe the gospel, accept it, embrace it, and let it shape your worldview.